0: Hello and apologies for the Zoom dance. Cool. Thank you. Um, it's wonderful to see so many people there who've have hung in there. Thank you very much. I really appreciate um, all of those people who have come in here, particularly after this week when we've gone to um, a subscription a system with Substack for the Kaka. Um, Peter, it is wonderful to see you. At well, the Bernard, it's
1: week. very good to see you as well. It's been a big week, really. I mean, I, mind you, you're one of the few people I can talk to this, this close since you're in Wellington under level two and I'm in Auckland under level four. You know, I, I'm I'm hungry for participation and uh, friendship.
0: <laughs> and beer. Or wine. Do, yeah, do well, I've got, got tea. Yeah, tea. Bit, I've got a cup of tea. Oh, yeah, I've got a cup of tea. you. well done. Yeah, yeah. cheers. Yeah, it's to very you. early
1: for a beer, Bruno. No, Jesus no, no, Christ, no, twenty-four no, right no, o'clock.
0: Cheers to you, uh, Peter, and cheers to all of the um, the listeners and and readers there of the Kaka. It's been a hell yeah, and, and thanks
1: week. so much for for staying with us when we, we we are. It's always been an experiment, but this is we're getting used to this particular platform. Thank you.
0: Yes, and this week's uh, been a big one. Uh, because um, for a bunch of reasons, as you say, Peter, we've gone from level four to level three in Auckland. Mm. But what I found interesting from today's press conference was that we've learned now that actually the level three restrictions at the internal border, stopping people from getting out of Auckland to the mm. rest of the country, were actually left at the level four restrictions. And so a whole bunch of people thought, oh, finally I can leave Auckland, I can go move into yeah. my new house or get my job in Napier mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: No, they can't. I saw them whining about it on TVNZ last night.
0: Whining well. Which, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know, yeah. yeah. It is yeah. The thing I thought was most extraordinary yesterday, Bernard, and I'd love to get your take on it since you were presumably there, The what I called Project Fear, which was uh, a slight play on words because, of course, uh, the pro-Brexit mob used that expression whenever any expert said that Brexit was going to be a disaster, but the coordination between the government and the media yesterday and Sean Hendy's group in getting that figure of 7,000 deaths if we, go, if we, if, if we don't get more than 80, 80% vaccination seemed to me to be a remarkable bit of press uh, co- coordination.
0: Yes, um, certainly. The document was given to the uh, a press gallery about a half an hour before it was out normally, and uh, the um, the group of modelers attached Mm. to Auckland University have have become rock stars in a way in a in a world we we'd never expect. Um, uh, vaccina- va- vaccinologists, and immunologists, and uh, modelers, modelers of pandemics, to suddenly become household names. So we all know. Well, Michael,
1: Michael Baker and Susie, Susie Wiles, as well, are household names. You know, Michael, right. Michael Bay, but Michael Baker only used to be a household name for having a uh, an Ash Metropolitan car. One of my favourites.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a it's a weird old world we're living in. And you're right. This was a, a definite concerted. Public relations uh, move by the government to get out there. This risk that if you don't get mm. to ninety percent, we could have lo- either lots of deaths and no lockdowns, uh, or lots more lockdown. Yeah, and so. But, but Bernard, was was there any dissent amongst the media? There was there
1: anyone who said, "God, this is we're being played here. This is a setup." Because I, I don't. I think a lot of people got it way before half an hour before it came out. It was too well prepared. Everybody had the same message. Everybody was ready to go. That looked to me. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing, but with a government like this, where they're so skilled with media, particularly with the prime minister, it seemed like there was a little bit too much coordination for my for my liking. And was there was there any dissent?
0: Yeah. Um. Certainly today, after mm. the event, um, a lot of people had spoken to Rodney Jones. Yeah. Uh, Rodney, um, for those mm-hmm. who who don't know, is a New Zealand economist who spent most of his um, working life in Beijing has a particular interest and affinity for the um, the outbreak of COVID-19, was obviously very aware of what happened in China before anyone else in New Zealand, mm. and from what I know, he really did blow the whistle inside New Zealand's government to say, hey, this is a serious thing, you need to really uh, take it seriously, and became involved in the early stages in, in uh, fact-checking and um, helping those people who were modelling, including the likes of Sean hendy and he came out uh, very strongly yesterday after that press press conference and said that the uh, 7,000 death figure just wasn't feasible, that we should all take the um, the models with a grain of salt. Mm. And in that press conference yesterday, there were a few questions along the lines of, well, hey, this is just one... Uh, model, do you really think it's that bad? So, there, and there has been a bit of a backlash today. I yeah. think, um, but there
1: is—you know—it was—it it is about scaring the pants off people. We know, you know, a friend of ours, Patrick Smelly, wrote a very good piece. Piece, I think, on Tuesday, saying it was time to get scared and to use fear as a as a as a push along for the remaining groups that haven't haven't been addressed. I thought, um, you and I both know Rodney Jones. I mean, I think one of the interesting things that his that he has a view of is that once. Um, Delta got into those uh, very vulnerable populations in South auckland um, where you have many people living in multi-generational houses sometimes you've got you know low quality houses quite congested houses but also the, a, a hell of a lot of essential workers um, I mean, it's obviously why one of the reasons why the airport was very early targeted but you know he's been deeply concerned that we haven't really had a uh, a good DhB or ministry of health policy for how to deal with COVID in those centres. I mean, it's clear that they've ramped up. It's clear that vaccination has ramped up after a very early start. But I I, I guess it's possible, Bernard, that without fear we wouldn't be getting the acceleration of the of the vaccination.
0: And that's the irony and the paradox mm. of it, that um, you need everyone to get vaccinated as fast as possible. But if you're successful in doing it, that will slow off the outbreak and re- remove the fear mm. to get everyone mm. vaccinated as fast as possible. So in a way, what you need to do is to keep the fear going for just long enough until you get over the 90% line. Which was definitely the
1: strategy yesterday, right?
0: Yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's fine. <laughs> if you've got an outbreak that's taking off, but today there were nine cases. Mm. Uh, so that's, um, that doesn't look like a, an outbreak that's threatening to to run well. But wild. The,
1: as you say, the, the, the reluctance to go into, go into lockdown again, the warning that you'll face further lockdowns if you don't get on with it. I, I was also struck, um, or have been struck right through this, um, various people, Mark dalder amongst them, have done some excellent work on the, uh, uh, and I think Sean Hendry, Hendry, Hendry's group, actually, the, Hendry's group, the... The propensity or the likelihood that Maori and Pacifica groups are particularly vulnerable to misinformation, mis- partly based on a historic mistrust of government, partly because they don't consume necessarily the same media uh, that, that others do, and just this propensity to to buy into misinformation. Television New Zealand again did quite a good piece I thought last night about the you know the Bill Gates microchip and all of the other myths. Um, it's a very interesting problem how to get over that both actual vaccine hesitation, hesitancy, but also the propensity of those communities to be prone to uh, conspiracy theories.
0: Yeah, there's been an NZN on Air study of how people <clears throat> around the country use media, how much time <clears throat> they're spending watching Television, Netflix, YouTube—how much time they're spending on uh, other uh, sources, radio, and the likes—and it's clear from those results in South Auckland, Maori and Pacifica youth are spending a lot more time on Instagram, t- TikTok, YouTube, and Netflix than they are watching <laughs> the One <1B> View mm. Impressor <laughs> or or television, New Zealand News, or anything like that—and the um the reports we're getting back is that there's a quite high proportion of particularly young maori and pacifica who are believing the you know 5g mm, chip mm. um bill gates uh, is it's a big magnet the magnetism uh, one <laughs> yeah yeah and uh i mean i've uh, we might as well go go there um peter um i've i've been um, a bit of a hawk on um, oh
1: oh we're going to talk about my favorite subject yes or one of my friends okay go that's ahead right, yeah. this is so,
0: facebook everyone. this is facebook so some of you might um have seen that mm-hmm. i've been saying for a while now that we need to be a lot more aggressive about trying to control the level of misinformation that's coming out it's not just from facebook but um i actually think youtube is is one of those mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, has a set of algorithms which are designed for clickability designed to Provoke, um, entertain, and uh, to get people commenting, and it's. Yeah. Yeah. To, to
1: engage society to comu- it's good to communicate Bernard. Yeah. Well, and what it does
0: very cleverly and I'm sure we've all of us who <laughs> have, have whiled away the days looking at YouTube is it, it it finds things that reinforces your existing views or interests but mm. more so. So the more extreme, the more you know um, excessive um, so that you can comment and like and just get involved and it's a um, a magic a magic formula which both YouTube and Facebook have found works to improve engagement and of course it's all about high engagement levels when you're trying to sell advertising and we've seen some reports this week from the Wall Street Journal uh, from internal documents at Facebook showing that many people inside Facebook in particular Mm. understand deeply and have the data to show that there is a lot of misinformation and damaging use of their platforms in various ways. No, they areas. absolutely know. And
1: and we now know that they agreed with Donald Donald Trump that they wouldn't um, pursue him, um, which actually I agree with. So just just full declaration. I I have done a lot of work for Facebook, particularly in the area of combating um, misinformation, which presumably um, is going to be a lifetime job. But. Um, you know they 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 i actually support this idea that politicians elected politicians should be able to say, say things uh, on facebook that other people might not be
0: yeah um and i i get that and uh, it's clear that facebook have a special list the x check list of vip's who are able to stay there when others aren't and you can you can understand that the concern i have uh, and there's there's a whole bunch of people much more informed about this many of whom have worked at facebook mm. or google and the other uh, companies in Silicon Valley, they are worried that the use of the algorithm, the lack of transparency, algorithms, the use of uh, the lack of transparency about how they're created, what it is they're um, choosing to highlight, mm. um, leaves everyone vulnerable to um, to misinformation and to dangerous uh, dangerous messages, which lead to you know uh, terror real attacks, real world effects, yeah, yeah. and and. Uh, suicide and mental health is obviously an issue um, that um, these social networks have to think about, and at the moment we really have to trust Mark Zuckerberg and also the algorithmists at Google to do the right thing. And my argument is, these are clearly now um, issues that affect our public welfare. You know, we're having all sorts of restrictions <coughs> on our movements, where how we can travel overseas, whether we whether we have to wear a mask in certain places. Mm. We're having to um, get vaccinated. We're doing all sorts of things to restrict our freedoms and the freedoms of those around us with the social contract that this is what we do to keep our community safe. But we aren't going to the place of trying to regulate those algorithms and force um, those social media companies to, frankly, abide by our existing uh, laws in New Zealand about stopping defamation, misinformation and hate speech.
1: Well, Uh, I'd also say, Bernard, that they are, I mean, don't forget that they are also a source of the official and and accurate information as well. I mean, every every, every post that mentions um, COVID in New Zealand on Facebook will have uh, a Facebook attached banner on the bottom of it to take you to the official sources what they're not doing so well I think is promoting accurate journalism around it but they, they are, you know, they have put a huge effort into sending people off to the COVID information centres to get that reliable information even if it is attached to the bottom of a piece of misinformation or perhaps particularly if it's attached to Uh, a piece of misinformation it's all there you know i just i just looked up COVID, and it's all it's all about you know the official sources um i I do know that a number of publishers including one that i work with have complained to some extent that there's there's not more support for journalism about COVID. but that is why for example stuff has gone back into facebook in order to try to counter some of the misinformation with accurate journalism at least about COVID. and that too will attach the the buttons for your vaccination appointment and the official government information
0: yeah. And that's, that's good. Um, my concern, though, is they actually have the power to use their algorithm and their filtering to literally make a lot of these comments and misinformation go away. And yeah, but they don't want to, but you know, they
1: want to keep the engagement. It's a very interesting story. I mean, I, 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 I must admit, the Wall Street Journal has done some excellent work on some great leaks this week, although I am slightly suspicious, and this is extremely unfair of me to say this about the Wall Street Journal. But News Corporation, the owner of the Wall Street Journal, does have a pretty aggressive agenda against Facebook. But I, I'm not saying that the Wall Street Journal uh, journalists are part of that. They're, they're too good for that. But you know, the, the New York Times had a very good piece this week that Mark Zuckerberg has essentially decided he's been apologising too much. We'll hear no more of the, oh, we need to try harder. Mm-hmm. They've shut down a, an internal organisation called Tangle so that people like us can't find out what what uh, is tracking on Facebook oh, unless really? they tell us. Wow, I missed that. Uh, and they've yeah. closed off a huge amount of access to academics who were looking at the impact of Facebook. So they're going quite hard on this now politically and, and, uh, and in terms of PR.
0: Yeah. And you sense that Zuckerberg um, has always been sort of reluctant along the way. In fact, he started out saying, "It's my job to move fast and break things."
1: That's right. Well, I agree. I agree with that. But it's 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 you know what you, you know. And I say this having having worked for Jimmy Wales, the founder of Wikipedia. There is a lot of you know there is a kind of libertarian streak in America, which is that good conversation will drive out bad. And I'm afraid we we now know that it doesn't, although it's very interesting. Jimmy Wales from Wikipedia gave evidence to a, a UK parliamentary committee yesterday that he himself had had to call Jack Dorsey to have a, a tweet about a tweet from a, uh, a particularly aggressive troll taken down. And Jimmy's proposed solution to this is that uh, you have human moderation of uh, Facebook and Twitter, but by by trusted users. I, I can see phenomenal chaos with that, given the two and a half billion users on uh, on Facebook. So I, I think this is a largely insoluble problem. Um, TikTok has the has the same issue. Um, you know, many many of those anti um, uh, anti-vax things are on TikTok. It's a really serious problem, but I, I'm, I'm afraid we just have to find other ways to reach these people with the correct information. Yes, I would am... interested To know what anybody else on the on the
0: call thinks about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, uh, I. Th- I just to, to finalize um, my views on this and I am much more of the Marxist-Leninist. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well more the, yeah, more, the more the shut them all down and regulate them out yeah, of business. Well,
0: there was all. a moment yeah. which isn't widely reported but um, I know about uh, on the afternoon of the Christchurch terror attacks when the CEOs of 2degrees, Spark and Vodafone got together and actually discussed turning off mm. Facebook and YouTube in particular, to stop the... Um, Proliferation pro- of the videos, yeah, around, absolutely. And the decision was made not to turn them off, because they could. They, they yep. dominate the um, the, IP, uh, the um, ISPs, and New Zealand is in an unusual position globally, where it really has two little optic fibre cables. And we're talking hair's breadth optic mm. fiber cables with all of our information going in and out there's a little bit of satellite stuff but not that much and um, you could well, Elon Musk's going to solve that for us shortly as well oh, just, do it from just time. what just what we need and another freak we can and we can rely on him another libertarian um, <laughs> rocket rocket oh
1: I won't hear a bad word said against Elon Elon <laughs> um,
0: and, uh, um, and, and we I think um, when we're at you know There's a near and present danger of a incredibly destructive um, uh, pandemic. We should be doing everything possible to make sure that we get to that 90% plus. Um, And interestingly, the government isn't taking some of the other steps they could, which everyone else has, when I say in the rest of the world, to help... Um, get us over that 9%. What,
1: right? what are those steps that you'd suggest, Bernard? Because, I, I mean, the other was just on the Facebook one, of course, the prime user of Facebook in uh, New Zealand is the government of New Zealand, and in particular the Prime Minister of New Zealand, who is absolutely not going to sacrifice her rather extraordinary... Uh, ability and also her personal skill at just going straight over the top to consumers. I mean um, I think a certain Lynn, Lynn Greaveson of your manner noted yesterday when she was watching the, um, the, the live stream on Facebook that there were, you know many of the comments were anti-vax people going into the live stream of the one o'clock oh, briefing yeah. from Parliament to, to, to from the beehive to inject anti-vax messages as well. They, they're, they're so passionate too. I mean they're nuts, but they so, I'm not sure about this whole. You can't tell them they're nutters because actually, in many cases, I think they are <laughs> nutters. <laughs> well, and at some well, points, lawyers don't particularly like being told they're nutters. But no, but and- again, I'm not absolutely sure that sort of thinking too much about the the uh, the reasons why they might feel that or believe those things is necessarily. Good. I think there's a lot of pandering there, and there is there is there are some facts here.
0: Yeah. I mean, my preference, and I don't quite understand why this can't be done, is for those live streams that the prime minister <clears> does, <throat> which are all very sensible and science based and and clear. Um, can't they just turn off those horrible mess of things flying no, up? The no, side? no, no,
1: no, 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 no. This is engagement, Bernard. Do, <sighs> do continue with your you know anti technology, anti you know free market, anti free uh, speech approach.
0: Yeah we will agree to disagree on uh, that one but you've got a great story about a mobile phone that can yeah well it's amazing right. it is a great
1: story and it's and it's you know it's a little bit complicated but so lithuania is having a bit of a just in the baltic states there's having a bit of a dispute with with china at the moment because lithuania has allowed uh taiwan to set up what is effectively a sort of proto proto embassy uh in vilnius and uh, as a result, there's been an investigation released this week by the uh, Lithuanian Sec- D- Defence Ministry, which has found inside a Xiaomi MI10T 5G phone uh, software that can detect and censor terms such as free-to-bet, long Live I will uh, or democracy movement. That's slightly scary, Peter. Turned
0: off, when, when you started, deeply
1: embedded in the phone. Uh,
0: when you started using those phrases, your your image started to cut off. Excellent, excellent. Level.
1: So, you know, we you know, who knows? Who knows who's there listening to this? And it's a really interesting set of problems. And, of course, as a result of that, the Lithuanian Defence Ministry has suggested that um, you throw away uh, any any Chinese Android phones that you've got and do not buy another one. I mean, they particularly identified the Xiaomi one, but they also noticed that a Huawei phone was sending data back to Singapore. But then, of course, I have my phone to send, uh, to send the Apple back to Apple, the, the detail back to Apple, so I'm not sure about that. But... Um, It is interesting, you know, the the pervasive uh, behaviour that China deploys to try and curb any discussion of this. You know, we all already know that WeChat is fully um, censored. Uh, And also there's a very good piece in The Economist this week, actually, Bernard, about the extent to which Chinese um, news publications overseas, including those in New Zealand and and Australia in particular, uh, and the United States, are now heavily influenced by the Chinese Communist Party and really pretty much toe the party line.
0: Yes, and we've there's been more action on the China front uh, this this week in um, the fallout from uh, Evergrande. Evergrande. Yes. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into that, though, AUKUS, um, the Australian, UK, US oh, yeah? deal. Um, not only has China applied to New Zealand to get into the, uh, uh, comprehensive, the CPTPP, hmm. Comprehensive Pacific Trans Pacific Partnership <coughs> Partnership.
1: I think the C now stands
0: for Chinese, no? Oh, possibly, it. possibly that's China, right. Yeah. So China has uh, come to us because we're the the holder of the um, the documents for the CPTPP, and said we'd like to join now. They've been talking about it for about nine or ten years, but it's now they've decided to join. Less than a week after this, uh, the the Australians decided they needed nuclear powered submarines. In the in the process. Um, really pissing off the French because they were about to buy ninety billion dollars with the of submarines off them. The ultimate sub-snub, as we call it. And um, uh, and now Taiwan has applied to join the CPTP. Excellent., oh, I think that's perfect sense yeah so we're going to have the situation where new zealand is going to have to choose between not only china and australia and america but china and taiwan well let's just call it
1: foremost and they can come in
0: ah yes that's right and, and the problem could be solved if china just invaded you know and it became formally a part of china mm. but um not that i'm suggesting well, it, it, that. which they
1: almost certainly will do before these if, if they want to do it before these um, submarines become effective anyway
0: yes um Meanwhile, uh, there has been the Evergrande um, situation that's been worth following because this week it looks like Evergrande has missed payment on um, some foreign bonds, although decided at the last minute to make some payments on uh, some the domestic, domestic bonds. Yeah, yeah, wealth management products. For those mm. who aren't familiar with how the Chinese system works, You can be a property developer in China, and you can effectively also be a finance company. So what you do is you go out there to mums and dads and say, hey, uh, we build these wonderful apartments. Can you lend us some money so that we can build these apartments? And we'll give you a guaranteed eight or nine or 10%. In fact, it's for those familiar with our own finance companies, it's very Mm. familiar. And um, that all worked fine when all the apartments were sold and prices kept rising. But um, there now is more than 2 million empty apartments that Evergrande, the biggest apartment developer in China, has. And just recently, they've started using the apartments they haven't sold as a type of currency to pay Mm -hmm. the people who would normally expect actual cash. And so you're starting to see, you know, this feels a bit Ponzi-ish when you're having to starting to sell... Oh, it's, total,
1: it's a total Ponzi scheme, and I, I haven't quite read what them. What they also do, of course, is borrow... Phenom- their whole business model is to borrow phenomenal amounts of money, um, start building the um, buildings and sell them way before they're finished. That's the whole... you know, It's, mm. it's trying to sell them off plan. But, um, you know, it's $300 billion in debt, and there's about half a dozen other companies just like it. I, I also wonder, Bernard, whether this is going to get tied up with... Um, Uh, Xi Jinping's rebasing of the economy, the uh, reluctance to let um, the tech companies be quite as powerful. Um, I'm not convinced that there'll be a proper bailout of of Evergrande. They may well let let it go.
0: Yeah. And this is the really interesting. Up until now, the Chinese government has always intervened in these situations where a big company, a steel company or whatever, and usually government-aligned in some way, effectively is bankrupt. What normally happens is that the president gets all of the players in the room, the banks, the company, the savers, and says, right, for the sake of national stability, I yeah. want you to take you, this You haircut. and you are taking a haircut. <laughs> That's yeah. right. um, And normally in, in, in uh, New Zealand or the States or Europe, whenever someone said, I want you to take a haircut this much and this much, everyone will go, uh, you better talk to our lawyers, and then we're going mm. to court, and then there's a mm. discussion. And the yeah, argument.
1: but in China, it's a little different because you may end up going to going to prison <laughs> without being without any charges. Yeah. That's
0: right, or that horrible thing where they send um, the bill for the bullet to your family. Uh, uh, so that's been the past in China. Essentially, everything was government guaranteed, and the government always managed to you know clean things up and have an orderly uh, deconstruction at the end. But in this case, the government wants to make a few examples, and this is the slightly unnerving thing for a lot of people in financial markets who remember those crazy days of Lehman Brothers going bankrupt and then two days later the government having to bail out AIG because they knew that if they didn't, it would um, take down the entire financial system. Uh, the one good thing here, though, is that at least Evergrande and a lot of the other Chinese companies are not intertwined in the global financial system in the same way.
1: No, they're not. No, no, they're not. I also, I also wonder though whether what's really going to ha- what's going to happen here is that China will let the international bond bondholders um, bear the heat and protect the domestic ones.
0: Yeah, and that's going to be difficult for the rest of the corporate bond market in China, who of course are relying on a lot of these investors putting their money in there. And also the Asian corporate um, debt market, which essentially is based off, you know, a lot of the economy and the and the um, mm. connections around China, and that's the concern here. That even if it doesn't take down the um, American or European financial markets, um, you better be a little bit nervous if you're in Malaysia or Indonesia or Thailand or not so much Japan and Korea because they've got a lot of strength. But the Southeast Asian um, financial markets are a little bit nervous about this. And it's worth watching, I think, um, you know. Very much
1: so. And I, and I think, Bernard, the, 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 the way I think I'm pretty sure one of the connections here is this is this dislike of Chinese company, the government dislike of Chinese companies exploiting foreign capital and therefore having an obligation to foreigners, whether it's data or whatever, you know, the, the way they've taken on DD and uh, Alibaba is all to do with the international influence those companies have got and the international shareholders that they've got. So that's right, because I, I suspect that they'll be prepared to burn the international bondholders rather than the domestic bondholders and and certainly not the domestic property market.
0: That's right. And um, in a way, you can't really have international investors controlling even part of a company when you need to do this banging of the heads together mm-hmm. to make everyone do what you want because there'll always be one foreigner outside going, hang on a minute, you can't tell me to do that <laughs> when, uh, of course, you want... Yeah, commercial. no,
1: they're redrawing, They're redraw- it's, it's very interesting what she's doing and I, I don't think we know the full picture of it at all yet, but he's kind of redrawing the boundaries of, of Chinese capitalism to, to make it much more domestically focused and, as you say, to make it much less open to influence from outsiders.
0: Yeah, so that's, um, that's Evergrande. And the other big financial, um, I wouldn't call it a black swan, but some sort of um, darkish bird... Floating around financial markets is the uh, potential for a default in the U.S. Yeah, well, hasn't that really market?
1: sort of gone away because they've you know they've accepted the the, uh, the uh, Congress has, has has accepted a a, um, a delay to the debt to the debt bomb day to the day when the, when the U.S. might not be able to um, might default. Yeah, uh, it's, all to, it's all to do with getting the you know the, the three trillion dollar Biden Biden. Uh, um, pro- economic program through investment program through.
0: That's right, but my understanding is that uh, it's been approved by the House of Representatives. It now needs to go to the Senate, mm-hmm. and there are real concerns that um, Mitch McConnell.
1: Oh, he wouldn't. He wouldn't hold the an entire, you know, the United States economy to hostage, would really, he, for his own interest?
0: Yeah, and that we could have a repeat in a way of um, the craziness of the mid '90s when you saw. Um, uh, the Republicans allow the American government to be shut down. The difference mm. this time around is if the American government does shut down, it would also, according to the U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, potentially default on its debt, and that is a particularly uh, nerve-wracking uh, prospect uh, and something that uh, we should keep an eye on. Usually, mm. these things at the last minute are resolved, uh, and we all we all breathe a sigh of relief. But I see Goldman Sachs this week saying there's a, a more than a 10% chance of an actual default which would royal financial markets. And I have got this calendar stuck in my brain around September and October in financial markets, which is, mm-hmm. these, are, these are the months when stuff goes wrong. So we'll have to see what's going on there. Talking about stuff going wrong, if you're an Iranian nuclear scientist,
1: oh yeah, this is the other one of the other stories I picked up from from into my spinoff bulletin this week. This it, is a, a really cracking, remarkable yeah. New York Times piece about. I mean, it's the, he's the fifth or sixth um, scientist, Iranian scientist, connected to the um, nuclear program who was killed last November. Uh, and of course, what happens in these is that is that uh, and it's usually Israel that does it. Um, one I recall, they used a kind of uh, a very, very well-targeted limpet bomb on the side of a on the side of the car, which killed just the driver, who was the, one of the nuclear scientists, and left the other people in the car unharmed, which was an extraordinary thing. But this one was using a remote-controlled machine gun, where and they said that the um, the trigger man, trigger person, was more than a thousand miles away, uh, and that the angle of the gun, the, rec- the uh, compensating for recoil. And the identification that the that the target uh, was driving the car and was and w- that they didn't uh, get anybody else was all done through through AI. Uh, so the the gun was set up. There was all, there was there was uh, you know obviously people working for the Israelis inside Iran left it there. They had a second uh, vehicle which identified that it was him, and they shot him uh, through the front of the um, through the front of his own un- unarmed un- unarmed Nissan and killed just him. Even didn't kill his wife, who ended up sitting on the ground with him, with him cradled and cradled in her ha- arms. And it's such an interesting concept that you can do this kind of execute this kind of targeted killing with no declaration of war. You go into another country to do it. We all look at it and think, "Wow, you know, cunning little Israel does it, does it again." Uh, and it's an extraordinary provocation. And of course, one of the reasons they did it last November is that they wanted to get it done. Uh, before Trump left the White House, Trump was aware of this. They, they, did, you know, Netanyahu believed that Biden would be a much less agreeable uh, uh, president. Um, so it's an extraordinary sort of, um, you know, the, the skill is remarkable, but it changes all this kind of warfare from a distance, whether it's drones or this kind of thing. Really changes the behavior and the tactics of war. Uh, and they took a calculated risk that uh, having killed the um, killed the head of the Republican Guard in Syria. Uh, in, in Iraq, I'm sorry, um, and had very little, very little fallout from it that they could that they could take out the head of the, the nuclear program. But just this, the technology, the, it's worth having a look at the story in the New York Times uh, about, about this killing. Just the the technology and the skill re- required to do it is remarkable. Of course, what they they did have one area which is that they uh, filled the truck where the machine gun was with explosives. Which were designed to blow it up and destroy all the evidence, but it just blew it into the air and it landed again. <laughs> again and they knew immediately exactly what had happened.
0: So you can no, imagine absolutely. the the poor old Iranian soldier rocking up to this machine gun. That's right. There that's right. Well, of course, they, the you know, when
1: they when when the shooting happened, they had no idea what they were facing. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't tell whether there was a you know whether there was a group or a crew, uh, and of course the target was already dead by that time.
0: That's right. So you rock up to the machine gun. Hello, is anyone there? Yeah. No. Um,
1: no, there's not. They're, you know, they're well. Uh, they're well gone.
0: That's right. I can't hear you. You need yeah. to, to go off mute. That's right. I suspect Peter and I we would not have been very good as assassins remote via machine gun. Possibly
1: not. Possibly not. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's an because because uh, Mossad, of course, the Israeli secret service has a policy that you know it, it doesn't conduct missions unless it has a, a a secure and understood way to get its agents out. But they were already well gone by the time that happened.
0: That's right, um, and. Uh, moving back closer to, in fact just before we come back close to home and talk Mm. about the fun things of interest rates and house prices Boris Johnson did you see this extraordinary thing he said about the French this week? I just have to get this in there.
1: Yeah, do. well, he said another extraordinary thing, but get that one in there. Bernard. it to go ahead.
0: Yeah. So obviously the background to the story is that the French in a very French way are outraged. Just we outraged about the uh, the Australians dumping them in for the Americans. And the French are saying they've been stabbed in the back. That um, you know they're not going to support um, Australia's bid to join the European Union free trade zone. Um, they're very grumpy. They withdrew.
1: They withdrew their uh, a, a, a ambassador to the United States, um, and and to Australia. And the one to the United States. This is the first time since 1793 that they've withdrawn.
0: Yes, and it's it's uh, it's quite a quite a diplomatic stouch when you when you have a look at what's what's going on there. And Boris Johnson, I mean, he is a bit of a clown, but <laughs> you've got to admire his sort of you know up yours to laws, um, uh, Chutzpah? Chutzpah, yeah. That's right, in which he said. Um, uh, this this week uh, here we go uh, talking at, to reporters in Washington after his meeting with Joe Biden he said about the French this is, it's time for some of our dearest friends in the world to prenez un grip about this
1: <laughs> yeah it sounds like something out of privatised um, right. uh, Franglais, Franglais, yeah. Franglais dictionary Yeah,
0: and then he finished it with and donnez moi un break <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, Boris also did something this week that I just—I—I—I I, I, I try not to be sort of politically engaged in this one, so having having lived in the UK and and also being a UK citizen, but his speech to the um, United Nations General Assembly this year about the environment and green issues is absolutely ridiculous. He it, he and he used this, you know, absolutely hilarious line that he thought was he pretty, presumably had put it himself about as Kermit the Frog said. hermit the frog it's not easy being green and i want to tell you you know it's just absolutely childish and you look around the 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 rest of the united nations general assembly and people are kind of sitting there with their hands in their heads just uh, heads in their hands rather not just not believing what they're hearing you know it's it is really something out of uh uh, armando ianucci uh film or, or or the show um the thick of it it is absolutely ridiculous and yet and yet He's incredibly popular at the moment, still, wow. and, a, and, a, and, a, and an election winner. Yes, it's like that show. That let's, they... And let's not even talk about the fact that uh, Brexit is leading to uh, empty shelves in the UK, oh, yeah. uh, pa- gas prices spiralling and people being cut off from their gas companies. You know, it's it's turning into a dystopian hellhole again.
0: And if you want a bit of fun uh, to see something that's prescient, uh, have a look at the Netflix series Years and Years. Mm-hmm. This is the um, near future sci-fi thing that came out of Britain um, starring um, uh, I've just forgotten her name. Anyway, it's um, it's all about uh, a mock British Prime Minister called Vivian Rook who um, Eventually becomes a Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson, that's the one. I've never seen it, but yeah, I'll just. just, I I would recommend it because what it it was done two years ago at the end of the Trump administration, and it basically paints this picture. It's again, it's another another Russell T Davies um, special. Mm. Paints this picture of a political class that's gone essentially completely mad. That has. uh, used all sorts of techniques to pull the wool over all sorts of uh, eyes and led to, you know, continuing chaos and pain. And uh, you think that's just too crazy, we couldn't possibly go there, but but here we are. But we've got Boris. Yes. Yeah. And more details coming out about what happened in the final days of the Trump administration. Yes, absolutely. Involving uh, this book, Peril, I must say. I'm, I'm going to have to try and get that. Um even though Bob Woodward and co. seem to pump out books every couple of months. Well, it's his,
1: it's his third one about the Trump period, of course. But he does, you know, and he's interviewed, I think, tw- 200 people there. I did read a very good review of it the other day, which suggested that the quotes were a little too brilliant and a little, ah. little too polished, which allows you to see that, um, you know, who is, who, who's, who's getting the, the history in first. So it's, you know, Bill Barr, the former Attorney-General, uh, and the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs Chief of Staffs, uh, General, General Milley.
0: Yes, and um, luckily... Or a we're, traitor,
1: a traitor, who is what uh, Trump calls him, of course. That's
0: right. And luckily we managed to get out of that without a nuclear war. Um, however, if you're in the New Zealand housing market, a nuclear ah, war...
1: it's like a... Oh, is it Were we going into... Oh, Bernard, that's a that's a truly bold segue. Hi, it's yep. the
0: one of the worst... Do go right ahead.
1: Um, a nuclear war... Someone once said apparently that New Zealand was a, was a housing market with a country attached. Is that right?
0: Yes, I've called the New Zealand economy yes. a housing market with bits taxed on, mm-hmm. um, but that's that's quite right. And I have this theory that if there was a nuclear war, house prices would still go up. Excellent. That people would go, oh, this nuclear war is bad. I need to buy another house <laughs> in the lockdown. And uh, what we've seen in the last <laughs> month is house prices go up 31.1%. And the Reserve Bank this week, uh, yesterday, decided to, Pull the trigger on a another tightening of loan-to-value ratio restrictions, which mean that if you're a first home buyer, now it's very, very, very difficult to get a 90% or a 95% mm. home loan. You so isn't it, this, isn't this just, you know, again,
1: it's it's shifting generational wealth. It's making it easier for the people who already have homes. You know, the poor old first home buyer must be finding this extraordinarily difficult.
0: Yeah, essentially, it's pulling the ladder up, and saying. Um, We don't like that house prices rise too fast, but the way to stop it from rising any more is to stop other people from buying into it. Essentially, it concretes in the tax-free leveraged capital gains yeah. that others have received, and it punishes those who are trying to um, leverage themselves up. You know, using the pole vault of debt to try and get up into the market and hope that um, their pole vaults long enough and their run was long enough to get in there. And uh, this week, the Reserve Bank halved the amount of high LVR lending that could that uh, could be done. And you could argue, well, you know, it's just the same for everyone. First home buyers the same as everyone else. No, because in the last year, first home buyers are responsible for three quarters of the high LVR lending, and more, almost forty percent of the borrowing by first home buyers is mm. in this bracket of above eighty percent. So what it says is uh, that if you're a first home buyer now, you are going into these auctions and um, uh, various bidding processes with effectively $5 billion less of bank lending to play against or to bid against all of those who already have equity. And you're right, it is an intergenerational issue where the government has made the decision, essentially, in my view, to um, freeze the market at its very high levels, to never let it fall, to effectively you have this ratcheting up effect. And what it means is um, because you can't let it fall, you're going to have to rely on income growth being slightly faster than house price growth to mm. get anywhere near affordability. The trouble is, it's now so unaffordable and house prices are still rising faster than income that you're talking about 100 years of that to get anywhere near affordability. Mm. And, and we'll be quite
1: old by then, I think. Well, I, I, I probably I, won't even be able to afford a house by then.
0: Yeah, it's the, it's the 20-year-olds who are, mm. who are thinking about starting their families at 120 that are the problem. Mm. And... Uh, I'm sort of, I mean, obviously at the moment we're all focused on Delta and uh, trying to deal with that. It's interesting, I go to the press conferences as much as I can and I'd quite like to ask other questions other than, you know, what's happening with COVID. But by the time you've got through all the crucial questions on COVID, there's hardly anything left to ask about other things like, you know, housing. Well, it's quite
1: convenient, isn't it?
0: Yeah. And at the moment with Parliament not sitting properly, um, it's very difficult to get access to... Um, access to um, uh, ministers, and it's interesting. There's a whole bunch of areas like migration, mm. health reforms. Yeah, where's, where's reforms? Chris Fuffoy at the
1: moment? I haven't heard. Well, he, he seems to have gone AWOL. Yeah, well, doesn't he, really appear on television anymore. No. Too much, too you know, too many responsibilities. I mean, he's a very nice chap, but he's got a lot of responsibilities, uh, and and he doesn't allow himself to be um, questioned on any of them. It seems.
0: Yeah, no. That we're hearing a lot from him that they're still working on the reforms, which um, is really frustrating a lot of uh, businesses and mm-hmm. others. The other thing, the other piece of news I think it's worth mentioning this week that others might have missed, is that the government just quietly announced that they'd stopped trying to increase the size of MIQ. So in the last yes. couple of months, they've been looking around for new hotels, new ways to expand the size of MIQ, because obviously on Monday we had 25,000 people bidding for three <laughs> three 3,800 rooms, which isn't going to work. And uh, so the government's been looking for months for hotels that are appropriate, that have the right ventilation, that have the right capacity. That, that hopefully
1: aren't in Rotorua.
0: Yeah, that's right. well, I looked in. was
1: in Rotorua, so people in Rotorua are a bit tired of having um, MIQ there.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, and that's the problem. They went to Rotorua to see if they could get some more, and were told no. The mm. locals didn't want them. They went to Hamilton, no, uh, not the wrong type of hotels, and not enough staff for them, and also not close enough to enough hotel uh, hospital rooms to deal with an outbreak nearby. Same in Auckland, same in Wellington, and there was just one extra hotel they found in Christchurch with 85 rooms. Hmm. Remember, this was supposed to offset a lot of the capacity reduction because uh, of the new system of cohorting. This is where um, those people who arrive in a certain day have to go to one hotel and move through. But
1: Bernard, if we we get to 90% vaccination, some aspects of MIQ are going to become irrelevant.
0: You'd have to hope so, and people are desperate for a non-MIQ home isolation system. The problem is, and again, this is about the modelling and you can, you can, everyone can brandish their own modelling, but it's clear from other countries, Israel, um, Britain, that getting over 80 or even 90% mm. is no guarantee. Iceland, for example, is over 90%. Now, it's a smaller country, um, but they are having, you know, single digit numbers of deaths every week dozens of hospitalizations even though they were over 90 percent and this is the problem uh, that even if we're over 90 percent we're going to have to work like hell to ensure that these outbreaks don't overwhelm the health system and you can see uh in a desperate situation the government saying okay uh we can't do another level four lockdown but we can shut the borders properly again yeah um,
1: i was quite surprised Bernard, to, well not surprised actually but it, with the announcements yesterday of the uh new maori health bill board and the some of the members to the to the new sort of national health board it, it it's in a way seems perplexing to me to go through this uh 450 million bureaucratic process of uh getting rid of the dhbs at a time when the dhbs have so much on their plate it, i'm just not I'm not absolutely convinced that that's a rational use of resources at the moment.
0: That's right. And anyone who's been through a corporate restructuring knows that it is distracting. And um, for those people who are stressed already by what's happened with COVID and the natural um, level of stress in that system, because it hasn't been invested in properly for the last 20 years, Mm. having a um, a restructure on top of that at the same time as a potential massive COVID outbreak is... um, It's difficult. They didn't really have a choice, I suppose. They've been leading up to this for a while. They've had four years of um, investigations and reforms. And you could argue the uh, disconnected and dysfunctional nature of the DABs, DHBs, contributed to the slightly chaotic way that we had to deal with. COVID. But,
1: so Sam was talking about whether New Zealand would actually have a worse a worse death rate from COVID because we have to kind of catch up. I'm not really sure that's actually correct because you know most of the places that we've been comparing ourselves with, like Israel and so on, had an absolutely appalling uh, um, approach to um, COVID at the beginning, including Denmark, Sweden, you know, less so Norway. Um, so I, I'm not sure that we will, and I and I and I think that there is a uh, a, a strong attempt to keep it out as long as possible again. So as you say, possibly going to keep the keeping the border very, very strong.
0: Yeah, and um, the death rate that we have, which is about six per million, compares with 2,000 per million in the, the likes of America and the UK. So we're unlikely to catch up like that. And I think, um, you know, economically in a whole bunch of ways, it's been great that we've kept it that low. I can see why people are fairly keen to try and keep the border closed. But at some point we're going to have to Open up, and it's it's we're gonna. There will be a point where we have to accept that there will be deaths and hospitalizations. It's interesting that um, Sean Hendy used the comparison with the flu toll every year, yeah. which is around yeah. about 500 deaths. Yep. And I can see that over time, this will become the sort of. Um, De facto uh, comparison. comparison. Yes,
1: yeah. yes, it's no worse than the flu, or it's comparable to a bad flu year, or whatever it is. Yeah, which also suggests. I mean, I think we're going to have to make sure that we all do the uh, flu uh, vaccination, as well as as well as COVID and COVID boosters, probably.
0: That's right. We should. We, there should be a, a lineup, a table, a bit like one of those tables in the marathon. Well, maybe, but just. I, I
1: just the the it is still. I've been reading a lot this, in the last couple of weeks. It's. Um, There's still a lot of uncertainty about how much, how long a a protection having had COVID gives you. And there's still, it's extremely unclear, although of course it's beneficial, to what and how, quite how long the Pfizer um, benefits are conferred on you. They don't, you know, they don't reduce immediately, but it seems to be sort of 5% less. After after six months and six percent less after nine months, that kind of thing. It's a it's a you, it's it's still obviously worth worth doing it, but there, there's still so much uncertainty. And again, we forget sometimes just how new this is. Uh, you know, it's a it's a, it's quite a remarkable feat having had so many vaccines developed in such a short time, particularly these extremely clever mRNA uh, vaccines, which we're going to see a lot more of in various other applications. But you know, there's there's still so much uncertainty. We need to really do what's What's right? What we know to be the right things to do, as in when we know, as and when we know them, which is vaccination.
0: Yeah, and uh, it would be extraordinary if we did get over ninety percent. Um, a big country, I don't think any any other big countries have done that in, in that way. Mm. And it is, you know, amazing. We're up at eighty. I was seeing the numbers today. We're up at eighty-one uh, percent first dose in Auckland. That is mm. extraordinary in such a short period of time. And you know, uh, the PM said at the beginning of this week that uh, wouldn't it be great if we could, in the next ten days, before the decision about going down to level two, Auckland was to get to ninety percent mm. first dose. That would be uh, quite quite a thing. And I, I, I mean, um, there's a, the cynical old hard-headed Juno and me um, should be grumpy, but I'm sort of cheering it on really. If we can get to ninety percent, that would be fantastic.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's why I think there was that you know that, that sort of common interest in the media and uh, pushing. The handy line the other day of the seven thousand. So, as I say, I don't entirely disagree with it. I just I'm just very interested because I think in New Zealand you're going to have a potential problem, including with today's announcement of 110 uh, new journalists funded by New Zealand on air. That you're going to get some people saying that the the New Zealand media is pulling its punches because it's uh, bought by uh, public public funds. I mean, I, I support that principle. I hope it works. But I think the New Zealand media's got to be careful not to be prime.
0: Well, I would um, say that's um, exactly right. In part because I haven't applied for any of that money and haven't gotten it. And you
1: could tell me on. you've got me as an unpaid cadet. Yes, that's that's true. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, Julian asks a really good question, and I and I do think this one about uh, mm. what he describes as the Maori failure to get vaccination rates up. I, I think that is a critical problem. I mean, I, I was talking to a health expert recently about the Maori Health Authority, and because my my initial reaction to it was, you know, does it doesn't really do we really need a separate one? And the trouble is, of course, what he said was, well, nothing else has worked. You might as well try it because the the health outcomes are so poor, and I, I think it would be a crime if. Uh, Covid deaths in the future are particularly, um, hell you know, particularly affect the Maori and Pacific Island population. You know that would be not good for New Zealand race relations. It would not be good for uh, both of those communities. Uh, and, and as as Julian says, it may well. And this is one of the points that uh, Rodney Jones makes. It could work, that kind of problem both in the Pacific or Maori. Could prevent us getting to normal life because many of those people are in essential work. You know, because often in New Zealand, essential work means relatively low-paid work, and these are people who probably hold down two jobs. Their children may work as well. You know, multi-generational households. Everything that we were saying at the beginning um, means that we really have to make a, 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 an important effort to connect with those people to to, to get them vaccinated.
0: Yeah, and um, it is our, so I guess what I'm saying,
1: Julian, it's our problem as well as this. It's not. It's not, a, you know, we have to be very careful to, to not blame anybody, but we've got to, we've got to encourage and, ma- and set the right conditions for those people to be included.
0: And and the government has said that it wants to see that 90%, not just across the overall population, but in those particular mm. cohorts and vulnerable communities that. Um, uh, as we've seen in this delta rat break as many as 75% of the cases from the Pacifica community in Yeah and it's, it's it it sounded
1: Bernard as though, as though the um, program in the upper Hauraki around um, south of or near Moran, north of Miranda and uh, uh, and south around Kaiawa has worked very very effectively i mean they're going they're being allowed to go back to level 2 i think tomorrow night.
0: Mm, that's right luckily um the um prison inmate didn't spread it beyond his initial family and that it looks like the the um, member of the family who went to the school hasn't spread it even though they were infectious and that is fantastic what, what i found interesting is that um in the reporting of that and when they had all the um, testing and they went into their mini little level four lockdown of their own turned out there had been a bus and a, a mobile vaccination place yeah. that had turned up two weeks beforehand and done 80 percent of the population and that's that's um that's a really good uh, example of how uh, that sort of uh, on the ground what I call the ground game of the vaccination yeah, yeah and it's
1: pockets of people who are intelligent and have done the right thing in their community with a minimum of um, minimum of fuss
0: yes just a final question there from Darren and a really good one will the government be forced to make vaccines mandatory to protect businesses this is something I've been looking at this week uh, because you're right businesses are nervous about having very hard vaccination uh, mandates, uh, saying, you know, we'll sack you if you don't have a vaccination or we won't employ you if you don't have a vaccination. The employment law um, allows companies to uh, specify vaccination for new employees. But if you were to sack someone because they hadn't been vaccinated or chosen not to be vaccinated, you would be in breach of the law. Uh, Although there's some interesting um, case law that is yet to be written on whether directors who aren't able to protect their own staff from non-vaccinated staff are are complying with the rules about uh, the health and safety rules which make them personally liable as directors if they allow an unsafe work environment. So a lot of companies are hoping that the government will give them air cover in the form of a mandate or some sort of legal change which means that they can uh, use vaccination mandates now there are some companies who have done it unilaterally and hope that they don't get taken to court Interesting the unions have not yet gone down the track of saying, yes, we're quite happy with vaccination mandates. And what we saw this week that I thought was one of the more interesting things was these riots in Melbourne, mm. where we saw thousands of what apparently were construction workers, although there's a bunch of um, people who think that they might have just been plain old anti-vaxxers, maskless, um, roaming the streets, um, clashes with... Uh, uh, black uh, armoured police um, on the steps of the war memorial and, re- and they had to um, ban air traffic movements above Melbourne mm. at various points, really concerning uh, issues with a reaction against vaccination mandates. And I did a an interview with Saab Jahal, the um, clinical psychologist who works with the government and others on dealing with this, who makes makes the point that if you go to vaccination mandates too early... You risk um, backing the hesitant yes. into a corner and turning them into outright anti-vaxxers.
1: Absolutely, and I, I strongly believe nudge, nudge, and good information has to be, has to be the way to do this. I, I, I don't even like a mask mandate, or or, and it worries me that we uh, compel people now to to. Um, to uh, check in I'd, I'd rather that was nudge but I, I do understand why and how effective it is but i, I just think in making this enforcement this was a big mistake in the uk i think to make so much of it enforceable um because it, it you know it just there's too many loopholes too many people get caught up in it
0: fantastic i think it's time to leave there we did have a late start and we've we've tried to answer some thank you very questions. much everybody yeah. i mean
1: actually I just one um cath made a Point about how how long it's taken each time to get vaccine coverage on any disease. I mean, one of the things that has been, I mean, yes, it is rather extraordinary how quick quickly these vaccines have been created, but that's partly because they're this new. Most of them are this new generation of mRNA vaccine, mm-hmm. which is not the traditional method of, you know, creating protection from having a tiny bit of whatever whatever you're trying to get in there. It's it's not as um, I'm going to dig myself a gigantic hole here. It's a different um, it's an entirely different approach but I think we are going to see now because mRNA is so effective at um, attacking very very precise um, elements of whatever you're trying to attack that you'll see new vaccines for all sorts of things coming up.
0: Yes and uh, let's hope um, vaccines that um, can work against the Delta variant and all the others that are yet to come and uh, we may yet have various boosters and cocktails, which um, mm. get, us, get us through. Oh, through. let's
1: go and have some cocktails now, Bernard. Yes,
0: maybe 2022 is the year of the yeah. vaccine cocktail. Peter, wonderful to see you. All Thank right. you very see much you later. to everyone Thank there. you much, everybody,
1: for coming on. Sorry we started a little late. Thank you.
0: We're, we're, we're getting there on the tech front. We may not be um, operating remote-controlled machine guns, but we will get there in the end. Kaki yeah. <laughs> <See laughs> to you. everyone. Cheers.